0: Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, Church. Uh, This morning's reading is uh, Psalm 137, and it's from the New International Version. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept, when we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing songs to the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, that what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell... Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Thank you.
1: Well, happy is he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. It's a very cheerful passage, isn't it? Uh, and it's one which we end our series on, on on reading the Bible and how the Bible fits together and how we should read it well. And we started with looking at hermeneutics. Uh, how do you interpret the Bible? And uh, if you were here for that, that particular time, you might remember that I spoke a little bit about that and the importance of having some orienting passages to the Bible, passages which, if we understand them well, provide us with a kind of an overview of how the Bible fits together and how we should interpret specific passages. And uh, if you were here, then you might remember that I did mention, and I don't usually do promos on, on my books, but did in that that day do a promo of my book, uh, The Big Picture, which in chapter two speaks about orienting passages and the importance of those passages and helping us to to understand Scripture. I mentioned that simply because we actually ran out of books that that, that, that particular day. So if you didn't get a copy and you want one, or you want some of the other books, uh, they are on sale after the service today. Rosemary and Amy, uh, fifteen bucks a copy, which is a remarkably good deal. Um, So, uh, hermeneutics, we looked at, you know, how do you understand the Bible? How does it fit together? How do you interpret it? Uh, Jules then spoke a little bit about uh, the slow reading of Scripture, the slow reading of Scripture, making sure that we we chew over it well, and we really get what it's saying to us. And then Mark looked a little bit at the, the whole question of the Bible as narrative, understanding the story that's behind it, getting into the narrative, being able to interpret that. And today I'm wanting us to look at a very specific method of reading the Bible, one that I hope that you'll find helpful. And Sue uh, has done just this wonderful little sheet for us, uh, reading the scriptures. Hopefully you got a copy of it when you came in. It looks at a method of reading the Bible which uh, has been called the 4-H method of Bible reading, the 4-H method of Bible reading, a method which basically takes us through four steps, a step which looks at the Bible as it speaks to our head, as it speaks to our heart, as it challenges our hands, and as we have a holy encounter. And that's really what we'll be looking at today. But perhaps just as we get going, uh, to ask the obvious question, I mean, why read the Bible at all? I mean, if we have to kind of think about how we're going to interpret it, if there are sometimes stunning passages like this one, happy is he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks, I mean, why why bother? Why read the Bible at all? It was the very significant theologian, Karl Barth, who in the last century uh, made this comment. He said, if you ask a thousand different people what God is like, you will get a thousand different answers said bot. Does that then mean that there are a thousand different gods? No, said bot. It means that there are a thousand different idols. What did he mean by that? He meant that if you, uh, if you just say, you know, what is God like? How do we know that what we're saying is true? How do we know that we're not just plucking it from the air? And indeed, if we ask a thousand different people what God is like, we do get a thousand different answers, and surely God can't be a thousand different ways. So how can we know what God is like with any certainty? How can we speak with authority about God? And Bart himself answered that question in two words, deus dixit, which means God speaks, or God has spoken. So how do we know about God? Because of deistics. Because God has spoken. God has taken the first step in speaking to us. And how does God speak? God has spoken in many, many, many different acts in history, where God has turned up, and people have realized, actually, I'm encountering God at this point in time. And in these God-turned-up moments, some of them, not all of them, but some of them have been recorded for us, and we find them recorded for us in Scripture. And so, when we read the Bible, we're reading this God-turned-up book, this the, the, this God-has-spoken book. This day sticks it, God speaks. God has spoken to us. God self-reveals God's own self. So that when we speak about God, we say, "How do we know that's true?" Well, because this is what God says about Himself. This is how God has revealed himself. This is God's own self, self-introduction of himself. So we can speak about God because we have a source of authority, a place where we find something that, that tells us about God, and we can say this is how we know. This isn't just speculation. This is, this is a record of an account where the people who were there just realized and recognized deeply and profoundly God turned up, and this is how God showed himself to be. And so as we read the passages of Scripture, we're reading one God, uh, self, self-revelation after another. You may say, okay, so we should do that so that we aren't just guessing what God is like, but, but how then can we read the Bible well? And I'd like to suggest then today this, this 4-H method, uh, head, heart, hands, holy. And it's a fairly simple method. Uh, it's not, not, not hard to grasp at all. It basically says that as we read a passage of Scripture, we ask first the, the H is the head question. So what is this passage about? What, what does it actually say? What's its content? What's its background? Uh, have we understood it correctly? Because before we can actually know what God is like or what God is saying to us, we should, in fact, make sure that we've understood what this passage is about. So we begin our Bible reading by, by basically just trying to ask some, some head questions. Do we understand what this passage is saying to us? But then we recognize that, in fact, just the head is not enough and that we need to move on to the heart as well. I mean, it is, after all, uh, Hebrews 4.12 that reminds us that the Bible is like a two-edged sword, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, that, 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 that when we encounter the Word of God, that it doesn't just inform our thinking, but somehow it challenges us, and it shows us what we like, and it comes to us, and it's, it, it, it's, it's not just about thinking. It's about an emotional response to God, and God wants us to actually respond to His Word. And so we ask the question, how am I being challenged by this? What is this saying to my heart? Uh, you know, what 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 is God perhaps saying to me through this passage? It's not though that it's just the heart that's challenged because it isn't just about a feeling. Uh, the psalmist, Psalm, Psalm one hundred nineteen, verse one hundred five, says, "Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. In other words, it it speaks about the direction in which I should go. It gives me a direction that I need to actually follow. I do things differently when I encounter the word of God. And as I come to the scriptures, I need to recognize that I am embarking upon a dangerous exercise. Because this dangerous exercise is one that can challenge me quite deeply. It's one that can say to me, you know what you're doing? It's wrong. Stop doing it. Go in a different pathway. And, and, and when we really encounter the Bible, we're taking this risk of having this challenge come to our life, which says, live differently now. Your hands must do something in a different kind of a way. And we asked ourselves when we read a particular passage, is this challenging my actions in some way? Do I need to live in a different way? Holy is that uh, a profound experience, and, and listen, it doesn't happen every time. It doesn't happen every time. But it's that time when, as we read Scripture, we just have this remarkable sense that, that the God we're reading about is the God who is standing before us, the God who encounters us. To my own students at Vos, where I serve as principal of Vos Seminary, we train people to be Christian leaders, and I've often said to students there, you know, as you come to this Bible college, as you 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 will study Scripture over and over and over again, and you will look at the passage, and as you look at the passage, you will start, and you will feel sometimes that you're in control of this process, and you will say, ah, yes, this passage over here, this is a post-exilic passage, and this was written in this context, and this means that, and this is the the mean of that Hebrew word, or this is the mean of that Greek word, and, and you'll feel as though you. St- over the text, and that somehow you're in charge of this process, because you're reading it, and you're reading the Bible, and you're reading what it says, but you will often have this remarkable experience, where this text that you're reading seems to just change its position, and you realize that it's no longer you who reading the text, but the text is reading you. It kind of floats up, as it were, and the Bible comes, and it stares down at your life, and you realize that the God that you're reading about is the God who is standing before you, and He's speaking to you, and you, you're here on holy ground. Rudolf Otto spoke about the Mysterium Tremendum, this, the, the, this experience that we sometimes have of human beings, of just being aware that we have stumbled into the presence of God and that God is speaking directly to us. Now, now I'm not going to pretend that every single time that you read the Bible that you will have that kind of God encounter, but we keep on reading the Bible because from time to time, we find that that is exactly what happens, that we realize that God is actually before us, and God is speaking to us, challenging us, and directing our lives. That, that's the holy. So head, heart, hands, and holy. And as you read Scripture, I'm going to suggest that you, you pick up a passage, and as you go through it, you read it, and you start to say, so what is this passage about? How does it speak to my head? What's it challenging me? What am I feeling about this? And I'll write down my emotional response to the passage. Is there something I should be doing? Is this what my hand should be doing? Uh, is this a holy encounter? Am I encountering God in some way? And uh, we've given you just as this little sample sheet, and you could print of something like this for yourself as well, just you know, a sheet of paper, and then those little icons there, uh, head, heart, hands, holy. You, know, you just jot down those things there and just build up, let it build up your, 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 your journal of Bible reading. Uh, over a period of time. But maybe that sounds a little bit theoretical. I, th- I thought that it would be more helpful if what we could do today, though, was to, to say, okay, so we're speaking about reading the Bible and adopting this 4-H approach. What do I mean in practice? Well, well let's take a particular passage. Let, let's take uh, the psalm, which Tony read for us, Psalm 137. And if you've got your Bibles with you, why not open to Psalm 137? And and let's read it and let's let's try and do it in a four H way. In other words, let's systematically go through the psalm and say, right, okay, what does it say to our head? What does it say to our heart? What might say to our hands? Is there something holy that comes through this? So Psalm 137. It begins like this By the rivers of Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon. Now, 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 as you read that, you mean say, okay, so this, is, this seems like a tranquil psalm. I mean, if you imagine someone sitting by a river, uh, you would expect them to be quite cheerful. If you spoke about yourself and your own experience, by the Swan river, there I sat and we had this lovely picnic. And we had all these rich stories which we told. And the kids played cricket. And, uh, you, you know, you think you're going to be into this kind of a psalm. But you, you, you quickly wake up because it doesn't go like that, does it? By the rivers of Babylon. We sat and wept. So, okay, so why are people weeping by the rivers of Babylon? And, 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 you, and you quickly go and you, 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 you check your resources. And, hey, listen, to read the Bible well, you probably should buy some resources. Uh, now, what resources should you get? Um, listen... It's hard to say what the Goldilocks solution is. I mean, if you know the story of Goldilocks, uh, when she tasted the porridge, the one was too hot, the one was too cold, the other was just right. When she lay in the bed, the one was too soft, the one was too hard, and finally there was one that was just right. Have I remembered that correctly? It's been a long time since I had little, little children. Um, but anyway, so, so, so the Goldilocks thing is to find, out know, what's just right for you? No, 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 when it comes to reading the Bible... Finding your Goldilocks point can be quite difficult uh, because some of you want to start at a fairly beginning place. Some of you want something that's really quite advanced and quite sophisticated. But could I suggest that, that, that if you're at a beginning point, so if you say, you know, I really know very little about the Bible. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I actually almost never read the Bible, uh, and I don't really know how to go about it. Could I suggest, number one, first, get a Bible. That's a good place to start. Uh, second, why not get... Uh, a study Bible. So, so here's, a, here's a copy of my own personal study Bible, the NIV study Bible. What is a study Bible? A study Bible is basically a Bible that in one volume uh, gives you all the content of the Bible, and uh, New International Versions is as good a, good, 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 good a translation as any, and the, the NIV study Bible is a great one. But what it does is that it introduces each book of the Bible, and it answers the question, so what is the historical background of this book? Why was it written? What time in history was it written? What were the main issues that were surrounding this, 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 this book? And, and before you, you, you dive into reading 1 Kings or Samuel or whatever it happens to be, you are, you, you're just oriented. You know kind of, okay, so this is the zone that I'm reading in. And, and really, if you read the Bible and you don't know that, then it's very, very hard to actually understand what's going on. So it gives you a couple of pages where it just says, you know, this is this is the the, the the background to this book, and then as you go through, you'll find that a study Bible will give you the text, and I can't really show you this particularly well, but uh, you've got the text there, and then in the the, the the top half of the page, the bottom half of the page, it just gives you a little bit of a running commentary, and that commentary uh, picks up particular words that might be difficult or ideas that you might think, gosh, that's odd or it shows you how a particular idea links to another idea in Scripture or how a theme has been developed so that you can track that through. So in, in one, one study Bible, you've got this incredible amount of information that if you, if you read any passage of the Bible, you go to it and you're able to say, okay, I can locate this passage a little bit. I, I know a little bit about what, what this passage is about. Could I recommend that as a very good starting point? Now, now some of you who are here will kind of be rolling your eyes and saying, oh, that's just too elementary for me. I'm a serious theologian, thank you very much. I've studied at Vose Seminary, or I intend to study at Vose Seminary, or something like that. I can go deeper. Yep. Yeah. okay, if, you're going to, if you want something a bit deeper, then what I'd suggest is that you start to look into buying some Bible commentary series. And uh, which Bible commentary series? And again, to find the Goldilocks point is a really difficult one. But could I recommend this series here for most people? And this series here is the Bible Speaks Today series, and the particular volume that I'm showing you is the, the Message of Kings, which was written by our own John Ollie. So, so um, John isn't here today, but many of you will know John. He's an internationally renowned Old Testament scholar. He's actually contributed to this series, uh, The Bible Speaks Today. What, what do I like about The Bible Speaks Today series? It's it's a good introduction, it's really solid scholarship, it will tell you what, what, what a particular book is about, it will unpack the meaning of the Hebrew if you're in the Old Testament or the Greek if you're in the New Testament, but it doesn't require you to be a super specialist. It is, if you're a thoughtful person, it will be accessible for you. So, so, so if you're wanting to read the Bible well and you're wanting to get the head thing well, at the, at the very basics, if you're, if you're serious about moving forward, could I suggest that you start with a study Bible? And if you are wanting to go the next step, could I suggest that you lock into a commentary series, get something like the Bible Speaks Today series? Uh, and they will help you just to unpack Scripture so that as you read it, you know it well. Okay. I said, however, that we're going to unpack Psalm 137. So let's do it at the head level. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. We sat and wept. So, so why are people sitting by the rivers of Babylon? What, what were the rivers of Babylon? They were the Tigris and the Euphrates River. I mean, for the people of Babylon, I mean, these were the rivers which were their great pride. It was the reason that the country could survive at all. This was otherwise desert terrain. But these two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, they flow through there, and, and they're usually a place of delight. But whoever is writing this psalm is sitting by the rivers in Babylon and is weeping. Ah, we know something of the background. Babylon and people weeping. Uh, let's, let's keep on reading. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. When we remembered Zion. So who would remember Zion? Ah, these are Jewish people sitting by the rivers of Babylon and weeping. Ah, we know something about that history, don't we? Because as you read the Bible, you find that that, that from Genesis, if you're going through the Old Testament, you find that that, that the story of the Old Testament from Genesis 12 onwards is really the story of the formation of the nation of Israel. And as we go through the formation of the nation of Israel, it reaches this magnificent peak in its history where it has three strong kings, Saul, David, Solomon. But after the death of Solomon, uh, the nation goes awry. Splits into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Uh, the 12 tribes are divided. There are 10 tribes in the northern kingdom, and then the remaining two in the southern kingdom. And they face two traumatic events in their history. Traumatic event number one, and so much of the Bible revolves around this, is the destruction of the Northern Kingdom in the year 722 BC by the Assyrians. And much of the prophecy in the Bible is about that destruction which takes place then. So, Northern Kingdom gets destroyed in 722. Southern Kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, it gets destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. So, this psalm then comes just after that's taken place. Uh, The Babylonians have come in. Uh, The northern kingdom has long been lost, lost to the Assyrians for well over 100 years. Southern kingdom, this little remaining bit of Israel, this nation which has been built up by God, suddenly it is absolutely destroyed. The walls of of Jerusalem are knocked down. The temple uh, lies in, 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 in absolute tatters. And the people are taken away into captivity. It's more than that. The people are slaughtered. Children are killed. Women are raped farms are burnt to the ground, and those who are strong enough and who would be useful slaves, they are taken off as slaves into captivity. And then we pick up at this point in Psalms, where there's a break in the journey, and they sit down by the rivers of Babylon, their new home, if it could ever be home. And what, 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 what happens to them? By the rivers of Babylon, we are sitting and we are weeping as we think about Zion and as we think about everything that has been lost. There on the poppers, we hung our harps. Usually a musical people, uh, the, 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 the Jews love to sing to the harp. We hung our harps for there our captors. These Babylonians asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And you can sense this outrage that's coming. You have destroyed everything that we have. You have destroyed our children. You have killed everyone who is precious to us. And now you come to us and you say, oh, we believe that you're wonderful singers. Oh, we believe that you have beautiful songs. So sing us some of the songs of Zion. We would love to hear them. And they weep and they rage within. That's the background to the song. And is it important to recognize that? Oh, it's hugely important when you read the psalm. It, it, it has three sections. It has the opening section of, of just introducing the, 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 the setting. Here we are, and we're weeping when we remember everything that we are lost, but have lost. Uh, verses 1 to 3. Verses 4 to 6. As we go on through, we, we just find this new loyalty builds up inside of us. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So, as the people, as the psalmist writes this psalm, he finds that in the midst of his deep distress, the people are saying, Sing us some of the songs of Zion. I mean, soft feet, I mean, you've got lovely music, sing, sing that. He finds that this allegiance and commitment, Jerusalem, That's the place that we committed to. This is our home country. We maybe didn't always appreciate it, but we're appreciating it now. And so we we, we see that it starts off by it orientates us to to what we have lost. It then says we are committed to it. And then verses 7 to 9, the difficult part of it, it says, And God... We're looking to you to do justice. God, you know what's happened. God, take revenge for us one day. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us, he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. And you can imagine just this rage building up. as this person who has seen too much death, too much destruction, just pleads that God would come and take revenge one day. No, no. it's really important to understand how that psalm then fits together. It's a psalm with those three stanzas. It goes through those t- three stages. That's the background to the psalm. We know something about its history. And you can't possibly understand the psalm unless you understand that. Uh, you, you, you see, I was listening to a q I, I don't know if many of you watch Q&A, but uh, sometimes they're very scathing comments about the Christian faith on q a And one of those programs where there were some scathing comments about 18 months ago, uh, one, I can't remember who it was who was being interviewed, but he said, I mean, who would, this, this person said, who would take the Bible seriously, this person said. I mean, the Bible is such an immoral book. I mean, do you know that there is a psalm that says that people who take children and smash them to the rocks should be happy? So how can you take seriously a book that says that? Now, you know, this is on Q&A. It's supposed to be an intellectual program, and no one gives one word of rebuttal. And they all just don't say, oh, goodness, didn't realize that the Bible had a verse that said you must take babies and smash them on the rocks. Oh, that is very worried. Or maybe you shouldn't read this book after all. I mean, what rubbish. What absolute rubbish. This is a psalm that has a context. It's a psalm that has a very significant context. It's, a, it's, 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 it's what the Bible so often is. It is about a profound human experience, and it is about trying to find God in the midst of that human experience. And people are writing down how they experience it. And here in Babylon, as we sit by the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and hear these people saying, sing us some of Zion's songs, sing us some of Zion's songs. And we remember our children who have been slaughtered. And we're just feeling this rage inside of us. And we're saying, God, won't you one day just bring some vengeance for us? Won't, 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 won't there be justice sometimes in the world? Won't it be a good day if their children were killed as well? I mean, You understand the humanity behind this passage, and you realize that actually, with your head, you can realize very clearly, this is a people who are deeply hurt, and they are bringing their hurt to God, as we should always do, because when we are deeply hurt, who else can you bring your hurts to? It's not a passage that you're supposed to take literally; it is poetry, it is a psalm that you say, "Okay, I understand the emotion and the feeling behind this," and so with our head, we get that. As you be say, "Okay, well." So I understand the psalm, I understand its context, I understand its background. We then move on. We say, so that's the head. What's the heart? How's this impacting the heart? And obviously, our emotions might be quite different. If I think about this congregation today, some of you probably have come from different parts of the world. Maybe you know what it's like to not feel at home. Because in many ways, this is a psalm about not feeling at home, not feeling welcome, about being a foreigner, about being an alien. And perhaps you would have your own psalm that you could write. You know, by the rivers of the Swan River, there I sat and wept when I remembered Mumbai. There I sat when I, you know, whatever it is. You know, we don't always feel at home in the same places. And if you sometimes have just felt, I don't belong, I don't fit in here, this is not my place, perhaps the psalm is for you. Perhaps the psalm comes to you and says, it's okay. You know, people through the ages have had the experience of feeling far from home. In fact, one of the most basic human emotions is is that of, of the journey of trying to find where home is, trying to find that place where I do belong, trying to find that place where I can just relax and be. And in fact, one of the great themes of Scripture is that ultimately this world is not our home, that ultimately we look for a new heaven and a new earth that God makes new and that ultimately we're only fully at home when God is in our midst, and we long for that day. And this psalm picks up on this most basic of longings, and, and perhaps for you, perhaps for you. It speaks to you. Perhaps it says to you, you know, yeah, I don't feel at home. And the psalm says people have felt like that through the centuries. You are not alone. Draw comfort. And as you realize that you're part of this great community of, of searching for home, maybe you jot that down and say, maybe God's speaking to me about that. Of course, it might not be that. It could be that as you read it, you say, I actually do feel deeply at home. I really do like where I am. I'm so grateful for for, for my current position. Uh, The psalm has something to say to you as well. Because notice how it goes. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept, but while we were weeping there, we asked ourselves these questions. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem... May my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Now, you can sense what's happening here. Far from home, people are sitting down and saying, why was I so neglectful of home when I was there? Why didn't I appreciate Jerusalem when I was actually there? Why didn't I value all those experiences I had when I was having them? And you can hear the psalmist saying, if I ever do that again, if I ever take for granted home again, then may my tongue just cling to the roof of my mouth. May I never sing again, because home should be valued. And really, if you read the psalm, you've got to ask one of two questions. Am I identifying with the current emotion of the writer? And the current emotion is, I feel far from home. Or am I identifying with the past experience of of, of the writer? I have been at home, and I know what home is like. Now, now, now if you identify with the past experience, then give thanks to God for it. So often we are at home, and we do not appreciate it. And the psalm comes to us and says, yeah, absolutely. If you forget that you're at home, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. Be grateful for the day that you have when you are at home. Appreciate it. And home might not just be about geography. Home can be relationships. Am I with the people I love? Maybe I sit by the rivers of Babylon and I lament not the loss of place, but the, the loss of people who matter to me, the loss of relationships that have turned south. There, there's so many ways where we might not be at home, or there are so many ways where we realize we are deeply at home and this is the season for gratitude. And as we do that, I think these are some of the things that we jot down and we say, right, head, we understand this. Heart, this is what goes on with this passage. This is how this speaks to us. What about our hands? Because, because this one, I mean, if you just look at the psalm in a superficial way, you, you'd have to say, there's nothing to do with your hands in this one because the only action that it speaks about is this one here in verse nine. Uh, happy is he who repays you for what you've done for us, he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So, so is this passage? If you, I mean, if, you, if you're very much a literalist and you, and you really shouldn't be, but if you are, if you're a literalist and you say, so what should I do from this passage? Well, it says, I'll be happy if I take infants and dash them against the rocks. No. You, 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 you have to say so. Actually, an action is being taken in the psalm. The psalm is doing something for the person who writes it. And the thing that the psalm is doing is that it's getting this enormous pent-up emotion inside of this person, and it's taking it, and it's just projecting it outwards. So instead of this, just this burning sentiment inside, it's going outside, and because it's outside, it actually becomes safe. The psalm is cathartic. It is a dumping of emotion. And it is a reminder of how important it is to sometimes do that. Let, 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 let me tell you a silly story. Years ago, I used to play squash and really enjoyed playing squash. And uh, one of the particular people that I played squash with quite often, we were fairly evenly matched. In other words, he was as bad as I was. Uh, we would we'd play squash usually every Tuesday night. And I can remember him coming along one one day, and he was just... He had a very difficult work situation, and he came and he was in an absolute rage at some things that his boss had done, and he, he was just fuming, and he he really couldn't get over his anger. He was just so angry about these things that happened at work, and as we were playing, he suddenly said, "This squash ball is my boss's head," and I he just slammed that ball like you would not believe. I mean, you, you, you just wouldn't believe it. And we were usually very evenly played. I, I just tried to keep out of the way of the ball for the rest of that, of that, that, that game. It became very one-sided. You just it. It was So far and so hard. And won the game without any real effort. And at the end, I feel so much better. I feel so much better. And, I mean, he knew what he had to do. He knew that his boss wasn't going anywhere, that he needed to find a new job. He knew that he couldn't just leave tomorrow. He couldn't, he couldn't actually do that at work. It wouldn't work. And he knew that he had to just calmed down and he knew that he needed to find another job. And it took him about a year to do that. But just that venting of emotion meant that he could carry on as he was supposed to. Now, now that's actually a really healthy way to deal with things. I mean, it's not nice if you're the other player and you've got to kind of put up this, this person who's suddenly just amazingly incredible at, at their game. But that's what the psalm is doing. The psalmist looking, and, and you, you can imagine here, here, here. The psalmist is here. I am. I'm sitting. I'm here, here by the river, rivers of Babylon. We we taking this this break and this journey into exile, and these people are saying to us, "Sing, sing, sing your songs. You know, we like the music that that, that we've heard about. Uh, you know, can't you sing us some of the songs of Zion?" And you're just raging inside of you, and you are wanting to leap up, and you are wanting to break every neck that is there, and and you know that you can't. So in your mind, you're just saying, "God, the day that." The day that you destroy them, I have seen too many corpses. I've had too many difficulties. But the day that you come back and bring judgment on them is the day that I will be delighted. And I hope that it's just as bad for them. And and, and as you rage inwardly, what you're doing is that you're getting it out of you. And you, and you, you bring it to the safest of all places, the very feet of God. And the thing that is so extraordinarily beautiful about this psalm, and it is a beautiful psalm, and it's why I get so angry with halfwits on Q&A who say, you know, this is why you shouldn't read the Bible. It's because they've missed the beauty of the psalm. The psalm is saying, whatever your pain, whatever your distress, the safe place to bring that is to the feet of God. And even if you have emotions that you think are decidedly unacceptable, emotions that, 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 that want revenge, vengeance, you know, take it back, kill them, God, even those emotions, when you bring them to the safe arms of God, somehow we bring things outside of ourselves, and we're able to be people who can carry on in a way that is transformed. You see, there are things for our hands to do here. Maybe there is great anger inside of you because of something that's happened. And this psalm comes to you and says, you know what you should never do? You should never bottle. You should never pretend that you feel what you don't feel. You've got to find a way to to, to be someone who can talk to someone. Or you've got to write it out. Or you've got to slam a squash ball. Or you've got to do something, but you've got to leave it with God. You can't just let it fester inside. And as you bring it to the safe hands of God, you, you trust that God is the one who will bring justice in the end. Because actually, that's what the psalm is doing. It's not saying we will bring justice. We're saying, God, you bring justice. Now, if we want to give you a bit of advice, God, we think this could be a good way to do it. But ultimately, you know what, God? It's hands off. You're the God who brings justice, and we leave this situation to you. And so the psalm says to us, what must I do with my hands? Well, maybe I must speak it out. Maybe I must write it out. Maybe I must pray it out. Maybe what I must do is if I'm, in fact, in this place of contentment and I feel very much at home, maybe I must simply listen to someone else's anger and not try and stop it too quickly. Let's not try to correct them too quickly. Let me just listen to what they say. As I listen to what they say, maybe I can be a gift to them. Maybe I can be Christ's hands and feet to them at that point in time. And so it is head, and it is heart, and it is hands— and from time to time there is this extraordinary experience where the passage becomes just this holy encounter with god now it doesn't always happen like that but there's sometimes when just deep inside of yourself when you read the scriptures you know god is speaking to you this is god's word to you and and it doesn't necessarily happen in flashing lights it was I meant for elijah remember he saw the earthquake he saw saw the fire saw great wind, 1 Kings 19 tells us about it, but, but in the end of earthquake, fire, and wind, he heard a still, small voice. And in that stillest of small voices, he just knew that God was saying something to him. And sometimes as we read Scripture, we find that in all the busyness of what's happening in the plot, whatever's happening in the text, that God is actually coming and speaking to us. It is not insignificant that we speak of the Bible as being the Word of God, and yet the Bible itself speaks of Jesus as being the Word of God. Do you remember John 1 says to us, And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is this little reminder that as we expose ourselves to the Scriptures, as we expose ourselves to the Word of God, from time to time we encounter the real word of god who is jesus and jesus comes and speaks to us and we have a holy encounter and we know that nothing can be the same after that and so what am i saying today i'm saying and i think what we've been trying to say right through this series is god has given us this gift of his word read it read it read it well read it with understanding Read it with your head, read it with your heart, read it willing to do things, and read it in the hope that over and over again you will have holy encounters with the God, who as you read His Word, comes to you, speaks to you, and says, this is the path, walk in it. Let's pray together. And just as we quiet together, you know your own relationship with the Bible. Perhaps you never read it. Maybe step one is just to make a commitment, I'll start to read this book. Maybe you read it, but with very little understanding. Maybe just say, listen, I do have enough money to buy a study Bible. Maybe you do read it, but you're not wanting to do what it says. Open your heart to its challenge. Your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Lord, we thank you for it. Amen.